Okay. All right. Welcome to the Boiled Up Podcast with Jake and Justin. Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff in the sports world today. Um, the first thing we're going to talk about is who won the NFL draft. Then after that, how the last dance is, how, if the last dance has changed who your goat is. And then the most underrated NFL offseason off signing or trade of the year. Our top five quarterback and wide receivers in the NFL. And then at the end, we're going to talk, uh, uh, and then we're going to talk, sorry, and then we're going to talk a little bit about who will be most prepared if the NBA season comes back. And then a little bit about some recent baseball news um, that we just received yesterday. So we're going to start out with who won the NFL draft. Justin, who do you think won the NFL draft? All right. So for the NFL draft, I think it was the Minnesota Vikings. Now, I really dislike the Vikings, but I got to say they had a fantastic draft. First round, they took Justin Jefferson, who I think is going to be a very good wide receiver. They were able to fill the hole that Stephon Diggs left. They got cornerback Jeff Glandney in the second round, who is able to replace Xavier Rhodes. And I, they also later on in the draft replaced a lot of their defensive linemen, their retooling. I just think they had 16 picks. They really made good use of those 16 picks. I just think they added a lot of young depth into that team, which was very much needed. Yeah, them and the Dolphins had a lot of picks this year, and that, that really helps. Um, really helps being able to get all that draft capital, especially in a pretty pretty deep draft this year. Um, the yes, team that I went, sure. yeah, the team that I went with was the Denver Broncos. I think I, I couldn't when I was first watching the draft. I couldn't believe that they got Jerry Judy at 15. I thought for sure he was going at least in the top 12, there was a lot of teams trying to trade up from at 12, but he just kind of went and went and went and then boom, he was there right for, right for John Elway and Drew Locke. And I think that was a great pick. And then yeah, I agree they, with they, that. Um, their best receiver last year was Cortland Sutton and he was good, but he's not really like a guy who can just take the whole team by storm. I mean, he had like 30 some percent of their total yards last year, which is kind of insane. Um, because they didn't they just didn't have a lot of talent out there, you know, on the field. I mean, it was kind of surprising that Drew Locke had such success towards the end of the year uh, with the limited weapons. Um, and then in the second round, they got another guy who I really liked in K.J. Hamler. Um, he was very good at Penn State last year. And I think a lot of people are saying he had first-round talent. But, you know, he fell to the second round of the Broncos. So another guy that just kind of fell to them. And I think he was a first round talent. I mean, he's going to be there with Judy now and Cortland Sutton. I think they got three really good wide receivers now um, for Drew Locke. And then in the third round, they got one of the best cornerbacks in the bat in the big 10 and Michael Moutier. I forget how to say his last name, but I remember watching him a little bit this year in some Penn state games. And he's, he's unbelievable. And he's an unbelievable bat defensive back. He can guard pretty much everything. He can guard tight ends, wide receivers. He makes tackles in the open field. He's fantastic. That was that was an unbelievable pick at three in the third round. A lot of people had him going in the second round. <clears throat> and then the last pick that was really kind of stood out for me was in the fourth round. They got LSU center Lloyd Cushenberry the third. He's big. He was the re, he was the big part of that line for Joe Burrow and the reason that they had so much success last season and to have him as their center now is. That's going to help them a lot. He's going to start for them right off the bat. I so, agree with that. I mean, I think they had a good draft too. I, yeah, I'm not disagreeing. I think they have a, they had a good draft. Yeah, I don't. Not much of a debate on this one. Just kind of two teams that really had great drafts. I, I think the Broncos are going to be very good this year. I think, I think they're going to be right in that playoff race in the AFC. Um, I think I like that offense with Gordon, with Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay, and. I just really like the draft that they had. I think they really Elway, – Elway knocked this one in the park. They've been struggling for a while since Peyton Manning left, but I really think that they um, that they, they knocked this out of the park. And I, I mean, the Vikings, too, they had a very good draft. Both these teams got, like, A's across the board from experts on their drafts, so it kind of makes sense as to why we're talking about both them. So, yeah. Um, Definitely. I only went with the Vikings because they had – a lot more picks, and I think they have a better success of when you look back five years from now when they had more picks like that. I think yeah. you'll see more talent on the Vikings draft list than you will on the Broncos just because they had more picks. Yeah, and I think the, the Dolphins, too, could have been up here, too. I really like their draft. 
They had I mean, a good think, draft, too. I think Tua could be better than Joe Burrow. They also got a running back to pair with Jordan Howard. They got a bunch of defensive players. They had so many picks, you almost forget who they drafted, but eventually, a lot of those guys are going to work out. Um, so the second thing that we want to talk about, and this will be the real debate, this will be about uh, if this Last Dance documentary has changed who your GOAT is. And uh, Justin, you can get started on your case. All right, so I'm interested to hear clear- this. Uh, so I'm always a big MJ fan here. I, before it even started, I always thought MJ was the GOAT. Now, when it even first came out, you have guys like D. Wade who said, man, MJ had it. He had it. He was chosen to be the GOAT. When you have a guy that played with LeBron, he played with him, and he's seeing MJ, you just that's just a sign right there that like a guy who played with LeBron, who's MJ's competition for GOAT, he played with him, and he's still giving it to MJ, like, right there off the bat, before you, I even watched it. Like, that's just a sign right there. But then when you go and watch it, you just, exactly, you saw he had it. Throughout the documentary, you're seeing time after time, he's able to hit clutch shots. He's the reason that Bulls team was winning. He's the reason. You put any other player on that team, and they do not have the same success as they had. LeBron, my bad. MJ was just able to dominate the league he was clearly the best player without a doubt throughout his career and no matter who was guarding him he still dropped 30 plus points and he was playing with a high level intensity on the defensive end he was just an all-around fantastic player and he had it which is why he is the GOAT okay um look so I'm not a big MJ fan I think he's great he's all he's obviously he's on Mount Rushmore for basketball but um and I think we're sort of heading towards an era where we start to see players as their best of their era. A lot of people say Will own the 60s, maybe even the 70s too, and then 80s was probably Magic, 90s was Jordan, 2000s was Kobe, and I think obviously now we're we're sort of in the LeBron James era. But I think if I had to pick a GOAT, it's obviously I think I would take LeBron James over Michael Jordan. I think statistically LeBron is better than him in almost everything except for you know, the only thing he's averaging like three less points for his career than Michael Jordan. He's a better rebounder because of his size. He's he's a much better passer than Michael Jordan ever was. Defensively, I do have to give it to Jordan. I think Jordan was a better defensive player. But outside of that, Jordan really doesn't have anything really significantly better than, than LeBron. In fact, LeBron could have a case for every other statistic except for defense. I mean, and obviously Michael Jordan only played 15 years. LeBron's already in his 15th year. But LeBron's still the only player in NBA history to have 34,000 points, 9,000 assists, 9,000 rebounds. I mean, the 2016 NBA Finals is my main thing here for my debate, with, in, for this Jordan debate, obviously, for all LeBron fans. LeBron was the only player in league history to lead both teams in every stat in that Finals, and he came back from 3-1, which is something Jordan never did. So I think that's LeBron's case. I think winning doesn't mean everything. I mean, if winning meant everything, then then Bill Russell would be the GOAT, but nobody believes that. So I I just think it's LeBron, Raymond James. I think he's the best player of all time if we had to pick one guy. I think he's number one, and then I would take Jordan maybe two, and then probably Bryant number three if I just had to pick three off the top of my head. But, you know, 6-0 and in the finals is a big argument against LeBron's 3-6, and but I just think statistically speaking and the competition that LeBron had to face was just so much harder than Michael Jordan's. I mean, we're watching in this documentary, we're seeing Jordan's team being heavily favored in every finals. LeBron's only been favored in the finals when he was on the Heat. And he won two out of those three. He didn't go three for three, but still. That's um, because MJ is the better player. I don't know about that because think about it. Every we were thinking about that finals. Um, the one that made made me kind of think was the Seattle finals that they showed in that documentary last night, where you know it was like this is the biggest mismatch in finals history, and I was like that was the last two finals LeBron played in when he was playing the unbeatable Warriors. You know there was just no shot. You know that team that Bulls team had like you know had three All Stars on it. You know they were they were amazing, and they had Steve Kerr, they had Paxson. I, I'm not I don't think Paxson's actually no Paxson was still on the team for at least a couple of those mm-hmm. runs. You know, they, they they were just really good. And I think that, you know, those first seven years of Jordan's career, he didn't win, win anything, you know. Um, so, you know, I don't think it was really just he could do it by himself. He needed to have all-stars too. 
you know, to win. And even still, he didn't have to play a team that was stacked with like four or five all-stars, you know, throughout his whole career. I mean, the best teams he he faced was teams with two all-stars, which was like the Utah Jazz. Um, he played the he played the Lakers at the end of their run in the first finals, you know, and the bad boy Pistons he did beat, but he also lost to them twice. So, you know, he's not, you know, Superman in the, in the playoffs. He, he did lose some series too. So I think it's kind of just harder to say that. I think it's very hard to say that Michael Jordan is, is vastly better than LeBron just because of 6-0 and in the finals. That's, that's just how I see it. You can look at the finals numbers like that, but you say like LeBron got to more finals and he was playing tougher teams, but that's because in 27 out of the 37 opponents Jordan faced, they had over 50 wins in the regular season. Meanwhile, 18 of LeBron's 37 playoff opponents have under 50 wins. LeBron's competition to get to the finals was much weaker than Jordan's. I All mean, right. Jordan I had defensive it. player of the years guarding him, Sidney Moncrief, Alvin Robertson, Dennis Rodman, Gary Payton. Rodman was on him four different times. I mean, the case that he never really had any tr- – like the league, the, well, in his era was – Jordan's era was just bad. is just ridiculous because they had very good teams back then, and Jordan played against them, and he dominated them most of the times he played them. I will say this for LeBron's case. LeBron took that 2007 Cavs team to the finals, and that was the worst team to ever make the NBA finals. He was literally the only good player on that team. I mean, their second best player was like Mo Williams or Zerondis Like that was impressive. He did get swept um, by the San Antonio Spurs, but I don't think Michael Jordan didn't even make it to the finals with a team like that. So that's a huge thing. That's true, but his conference was never the same. I mean, the East back then was always the dominant conference compared to now the West is the dominant conference in LeBron's era, which is why one of the reasons why he switched to the West. He wanted to try and win the title in the more dominant conference. Yeah, and I think that helped Jordan in the finals a lot because I think Jordan, they kind of had to, it seems, and we're seeing in this documentary, they had to kill themselves in those first couple rounds, you know, against some of those teams. And then they got to the finals, and it seems like every finals we're seeing, it's like five – I mean, Jordan didn't even have game seven ever in the finals. So all these finals opponents weren't really huge challenges for, for the Bulls. So No, I think more of their finals were getting to the final. Yeah. Their, uh, their conference final games were which, more of a bigger matchup than their actual final, which, I mean, is the opposite of taken LeBron either way. You know, LeBron coasted every year in the East, he coasted to the finals. But then it was just some really, these powerhouse teams. But it's definitely an interesting debate. And I think, honestly, what's kind of making me a little sad is that a lot of people are just watching this documentary, which is a little bit biased. I think we all, we both have to admit, I mean, it's basically acting as if Michael Jordan is like never done anything wrong besides the gambling, you know, on the basketball floor. Like, I think they showed like one game in the whole, in this whole, you know, time where he's really just kind of blown it in a playoff game, which was, the magic game that they showed yesterday where he blew it in the final game. And then they were like, Oh, he was ready to go the next day. And he was like, I don't yes, know how that's much that's also this- because he came in mid season. Yeah. He went, I- he came in mid season that year and played. And he, after that, he worked, he worked his very, he worked very hard to get to the point where he was the following season to the point where he was a but, championship contender the next year. And, that's another thing. LeBron never never quit on a team like that just for a year. And who knows why? Maybe it was a Jordan suspension. Jordan didn't quit. Jordan it might did have not been a, quit. It might have been a suspension. No, that is cool. No, that, stop with the conspiracy theories. They're wrong. They're not even close to being true. They are so wrong. Granted, it's actually disrespectful how wrong they are. I think somebody... Jordan's character like that. If somebody had actually died in LeBron's life that was as big as Jordan's dad maybe it would have changed things but still I don't know that whole thing is a little off for me Jordan Um, accomplished everything he had to at that point there was nothing left for him to do he could have tried he I think they probably could have four-peated honestly they could have been the first team to four-peat on two different occasions I I think they would have I honestly think they could have won from 90 what was it 91 to 98 I think they could have won all those if Probably. he if he didn't retire, I think they would have won. What is that like eight straight, nine straight? It would have been close yeah. to that. And I mean, LeBron made nine straight finals too, which Jordan mm-hmm. did not do. But, but I think maybe Jordan he, would maybe have. He would I have think been Jordan able to would do that. But I'm it's hypothetical. Sure he have if he, it is hypothetical like, at that yeah. point. But 
Well, we'll leave that debate at bay for a little bit. We're going to move on. We'll, we'll to definitely number. discuss that at another point. Yeah, that will come back up. And, I mean, that's been coming up for, for years with everybody. Yes. So, the third thing we're going to talk about here is the most our most underrated NFL offseason uh, signing or trade. And for me, um, I took Calais Campbell. I thought that was a really, really good – and, I mean, the Ravens, they're stacked. But I think they got even better with this trade. They All they gave up was a fifth rounder for – really who probably behind Yannick, the second best defender on the Jags and a guy who's been to the pro bowl um, for a fifth rounder. I was like, wow. When that trade came through, I was like, what is going on? And I think, I think part of that is just, we're seeing the Jaguars are taking a full rebuild with what they're doing um, in an attempt to get Lawrence, Thank maybe fields. Credit. Yeah, probably. One but that was, Although it was a very lopsided trade, it really didn't get a lot of the coverage I think it deserved because part of the reason the Ravens were exited so quickly was not not just because of Lamar, but also their defense was kind of getting torched. And I think I think that's going to really help them. King Henry. No, they could not. And Clay Campbell, he's one of the best defensive ends in football. That would have definitely. I mean, if Derrick Henry, he probably wouldn't have done. You know, he wouldn't have stopped Derrick Henry from getting all those yards, but he, he would have slowed him down to, a bit. Yeah. More make him work, you know, that's what part of the guys do, you know, you hit him hard, knock him down, and maybe Henry's not able to give it his all in the next play, whereas it seemed like Henry's kind of just running on his own the whole game. It was shocking. No one could bring him down. Um, so, yeah, that was that was my that was my most underrated NFL offseason signing and trade. I mean, there was a lot of them, but I, re- I thought that one was just kind of a shocker. No, yeah, I agree with that. About. I think it's a – good sign a good deal that the Ravens made but I don't think it is the most underrated I think that has to go to Stefan Diggs to the Buffalo Bills I mean it's not really talked about too much mm-hmm. now the Bills did have to pay the price of a first round pick obviously which was then used on Justin Jefferson but I do think Diggs is a better player than Jefferson I mean Diggs is coming off back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons in 2018. Diggs caught 102 passes for 1,021 yards with an average reception of going for 10 yards. And he was also a scoring machine with nine touchdowns. And last year, Diggs gathered in 63 receptions, 1,130 yards with his average catch going for 17.9 yards. And he added in six touchdowns. I mean, Diggs appears to be the long threat that the long threat that the Bills needed last year. I mean, Diggs, Diggs' longest catch was for 75 yards in 2018, and last year he held in a pass for 66 yards. That's something the Bills did not have as the current wide receiver core in Buffalo is uh, John Brown and Cole Beasley. They're both getting up there in age. They're both just not number one targets. They're number two and three receivers, and now adding that number one receiving threat in Diggs, I think Diggs' big playability and Josh Allen's arm, I think it's a perfect match. See, uh, I agree. I, I like that that trade, but I know you and I will disagree on this. I am, I'm not a really big uh, Josh Allen believer. I don't think – I think he's a good quarterback. I just don't think he's he, – right now, his deep ball, He yes, he can get the ball down the field. He has a good arm, but his accuracy is really lacking. The last few years, he's been one of the lowest uh, completion percentage quarterbacks in the league. Um, which is definitely concerning. He did he didn't even really improve that much last season. Now maybe Diggs will help, but I just I'm not in I'm not invested in Josh Allen yet. I think I think he's a solid quarterback, but I don't think he can take that next step right now to win a championship or really even contend. I think they're a playoff team and I think they win the division this year, but I don't think they go very far because of him, sadly. Um I think they need. I mean, they went ten and six last year, which is very good. They almost won that division with a good Patriots. Well, they did win the division, didn't they? No, or no, they, no, they did. Yeah, they, they lost. Were, they they lost. The out. Patriots contended. The Patriots won that. I mean, the Patriots are the better team back then, back obviously. Then, yeah. with a, well, but not the anymore. First, the, the Patriots are. The Patriots whole, are out um, of it. I think that Patriots season last year was kind of fake. They were eight and zero off the easiest schedule, and then they then they went three and five. Exactly. And I mean, I think they they do have the easiest schedule again. I mean, that division is not good. And I think that's why Buffalo will win 12 plus games this year. They added, they won, they won 10 games last year. They added Stefan Diggs. Their defense is young and growing. So they're only getting better with Tredavious White, top five corner. You got Ed Oliver. They made some good pickups in the draft. You got Devin Singletary who's growing. They have a good young team there. They're going to beat up on their division. I mean, 
New England's not going to be good. I don't think I don't think the Jets are good. The Dolphins may be decent, but if they don't start two, I don't think Fitzmagic is taking them above 500. So I just think I think that's a division where the Bills will coast to win. I I would say that I think the Jets would have a chance, but then the schedules came out as we know last week, and the Jets have one of the hardest schedules in the NFL this season. And I just don't think that they added enough. Um, they still haven't traded Le'Veon Bell, who we pretty much seen was on his way out. So I'm going to give that division to the Bulls right now. I mean, to the Bills right now. I'm talking about Michael Jordan. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it to the Bills right now. But I don't think unless something happens this season, I don't think Josh Allen's taking them very far. But obviously that we'll have to see. Maybe he'll drastically improve this season. Uh, we will see. All right. So – the next thing that we're going to talk about here is our top five quarterbacks and wide receiver duos in the NFL. So number one for me is Drew Brees and Michael Thomas. Pretty, pretty easy pick here. I, I mean, you can, I know there's some debate, but first of all, Drew Brees is the top five quarterback in the NFL. I think we all agree on that. Not anymore. Not anymore. No. Well, at least last season, we're, uh, last season he was, he was very good when he played despite that thumb injury. So and Michael Thomas broke records last season. He was the best receiver in the NFL. So I think, you know, you compare – you can. I just think the fit with them is unbelievable. I mean, and now they have Adam Manuel Sanders to that offense. I mean, the Saints are, have been known for choking lately, but that offense is scary, and I think they're the They'll best duo in the NFL. They will choke again. Probably. I mean, I feel bad for their fans, but um, they just can't figure it out. I don't. I hate their fans. They're me? wild. Their fans are wild. No, nah, they complain all the time. They are, yeah. I mean, sometimes, I mean, they literally changed the NFL for a season with that review call, which was stupid. It didn't work. It was and now, ridiculous. Now, now that totally. call is gone. Thankfully, that call is gone. You can't challenge it anymore. Yeah. Um, And then number two, I got Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Hill. Obviously, Mahomes is the best quarterback in the National Football League. I I mean, some people think he's going to be the best ever. Max Kellerman thinks he's going to be the best ever. I think that's a little bit too early to say. But he's definitely very talented, and he's the best in our league right now. And Tyree Hill, Cheetah, he's unbelievable. He's the fastest wide receiver probably in the National Football League. He's a great deep ball ball threat. And he's also getting better at just – you know, his, his his catch rate's going up. He's he's not dropping as many balls as he used to. He's really dangerous. He's one of the most dangerous players when the Chiefs are playing. He's a big reason that they won that championship last year. Number three, I got Aaron Rodgers, that bad man. That bad man, Aaron Rodgers. He's going to come back this season, I think. I think he's going to be pissed off. Now, it's going to be tough because of those weapons that they didn't get from him in the draft. But I really – I think he's going to have a huge season. Um, and then obviously his partner there, Devontae Adams, coming in at number three, who I think might be the best route runner in the NFL and certainly certainly possibly one of the most hardest to guard because of his size and his length and his speed. He's a, he's a problem. His only issue is he's always hurt. He gets hurt every season. And it seems like we get towards the end of the season and he's, he's either down or he's hampered and it's like, what the hell is going on, you know? And it's too bad because they need him in the postseason. But when he's healthy and at his best, there's not too many guys you could say are really better than him. In fact, I'd probably put him at number two in wide receivers behind – probably behind Michael Thomas right now. But it's that's tough. Those top five wide receivers are a tough debate. <clears throat> and then I got Matt Ryan. I got Julio Jones at number four. I really – I mean, Matt Ryan is not what he used to be, but Julio Jones is still incredibly special. He's – one of the best to ever play. I know he's kind of heading into these last couple prime years, but he's unbelievable. He had another great season last year. He hasn't had a bad season yet, and he's just, he's unbelievable. And he literally lifts – I mean, the, the Falcons are going to suck this year, we know. But he's unbelievable. I don't know about that. I, their defense is terrible. Their defense isn't great, but they still have a good offense. I do like that. That offense is great. And I think Todd Gurley was an underrated signing as well. He was mm-hmm. in contention for me. Um, I like him a lot. I think he's got a burst. I think what they should, I think they should try and use him small, very lightly. But he, when he was running last season, he was good. He averaged over four yards per carriage. Not like he fell off. He just didn't get the ball a lot and then got hurt. And then number five, um, and I know this will be a little bit controversial, controversial, but uh, I got Kyle, Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. And I know, 
these guys have never played with each other, but uh, the skill level is just too high for me to be like, no, they're not in there. First of all, you got probably the best, the best wide, the best wide receiver in football over the last over the last few years, which was Hopkins probably during even. I mean, you could make a debate for Antonio Brown, but this guy didn't drop a single pass two years ago. I mean, this guy's a lot of passes the past couple of years, though, though. Last year, I don't know what happened with Hopkins. I mean, he still made all. I, I shouldn't. I didn't think he should have made All Pro, but he still made All Pro. And yeah, that was not. He was not deserving of that. No, that was but, a little um, popular bias. There. Pop, yeah, but I, I still bias. love him. He's he's really really good when he's at his best, and. I think he's going to come out with fire this year. I think last year was a disappointing year, and the fact that he got traded for literally David Johnson, a washed-up back from Arizona, and some draft picks, that, that was terrible. Terrible. I mean, awful trade. I mean, maybe one of the worst trades ever. So I think he's going to come up pissed. And I think Kyler Murray is going to really improve a lot this year. He was pretty good last year. He he was Offensive Rookie of the Year, and he really didn't have a lot didn't to work with. It, he, had, he was great. He was very good with resources he had. He had Christian Kirk. I mean, they had that whole running back issue with David Johnson, who they didn't really find a back until they got Kenyon Drake from the Dolphins late in the season. And that was when they really started to spark as a team those last couple of weeks. So I really like Kyler Murray this year. I think, honestly, I mean, I think he's going to be – he's a great dual-threat quarterback. And I think he can throw well, too. I mean, we're going to see what type of leap he makes. And obviously the size – is a bit of a factor with being able to stay healthy, but he was pretty healthy last season. He played every game. So I like him this year. I think he could be one of those guys who takes that sophomore leap that we see in the NFL. So that's my list. Um, what's yours? All right. So number one, I have Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill. I mean, number one, you have to have Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill just because Mahomes is by far the best quarterback in football. I mean, you can't put another guy up there in contention with him when I it comes to that. throwing the ball. When it comes to throwing the ball. And I think the difference between like a Michael Thomas, a Julio Jones, Devontae Adams, and Tyree Kill, there's not that much of a difference. I don't think he's up I don't think he's in that tier, but I think he's the tier below that. And I think the quarterback play just elevates him to make Mahomes and Hill the number one option there. I think Mahomes' ability to throw the ball is just out of this world. I mean, his arm strength, his accuracy, his throw on the run, he can do it all. I mean, you just got to put them as the number one combo. Okay. And then you got something to say? I, I, all right. I mean, look, I agree with you on Mahomes. Obviously, we all agree that anybody who's saying he's not the best, but I just think that, you know, you put Breeze, Breeze, in my opinion, last season was only a little bit worse than Patrick Mahomes until we obviously reached the postseason. I think Breeze was great. And, I mean, obviously in the postseason, Mahomes was here. Drew Breeze was already out. But Michael Thomas broke records last season. And I think that the difference in quarterback is a little bit less than it was the difference between Michael Thomas and Tyreek Hill. But um, I can't say that it's a bad pick for your number one. I just, I just disagree. I think Tyreek he's the fastest. Things. He can make better catches. Michael Thomas is just av- – he's not – no, he's not average. He's very good, but he's just good at everything. He does not stand out at one thing. His route running is very good, but outside of that, he's not extremely fast. He doesn't have the best hands. He doesn't have the best jump ability, jumping ability. He's just, he's just average all around as where Tyreek Hill gives you – he gives you the deep threat. He's fast. He gives you the yards after catch. You can throw him screens and he'll make something out of it. He has, he has the speed. He's the deep threat. He's got everything. He's got the full package. Well, he does have some issues holding on to the ball. Outside of that, he's very good. So I think okay. you just got to so, give them the average. You got to give them the number one spot. Okay. What's the rest of your list then? All right, so number two, I have Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. I think Aaron Rodgers is still a good quarterback. I think he is starting to fall off a cliff a bit here. But Devontae Adams' root running is the best in football. His ability to catch the ball is always good. He does deal with a little bit of injuries here and there. But he is a very good wide receiver, and I have to give them number two. And then number three, I have Drew Brees and Michael Thomas. Michael, I mentioned Michael Thomas earlier. I, I didn't, I didn't think Brees. you were going to list those guys. 
After one no, or two I went by, I was like, here. oh my God. I had to list them here eventually. They are very good. I think Drew Brees is starting to fall off a cliff here. I don't think he is the same quarterback he was. I think he is a good quarterback, but I don't think he is great anymore. I think he is Would just take- good. I think he was benefit. He benefited a lot behind a good offensive line, a very strong run game, and having a good coach. I think he really benefited from all of that. And I don't, but I don't think he is that skillful anymore. I think he is. Would you take Breeze or Rodgers right now? That's a tough one. I think I would have to give it to Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers is more mobile. That's okay. just he, – he takes the advantage there. That's, that's the only difference. I think other than that, they're very similar. I do think Rodgers will bounce back this season. I think he, we're going to be hearing a bad man coming back again. from. Steve yeah, I do season. agree with that. I think he is very motivated after what happened this offseason. So, okay. All right, and then the last two. Number four, I have a little bit of surprise here. You did not mention them. I have Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf. Now, oh, wow. wow. Oh, I, think, I, think Russell Wilson, I think Russell Wilson is the second-best quarterback in football by a good okay. amount. Okay, I, I can agree I, with that, but and Metcalf? His, Metcalf has shown some very good traits. I think uh. he is on the up-and-coming. I think this year will be a very outstanding year for DK. He will show out a big time this year. His leaping ability is one of the best in football. He has good hands. He's got the speed. When Wilson evades the pocket, or he evades the pressure and steps out of the pocket, DK always got open. I really like him. I really like those two this year. And then okay. finally, number five, I have Matt Stafford and Kenny Galladay. I think Matt Stafford is consistently disrespected in the league. I think he is a top 10 quarterback. I agree. I agree. He with constantly that. puts up very good numbers behind a bad offensive line with no run game. Kenny Galladay, again, up and coming wide receiver, very good, very talented. I chose them over Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins in this list only because. And over Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Matt Ryan has fallen off a cliff and Julio is up there in age. Julio also doesn't find the end zone. I I, I had to pick them. Well, on your list you had um, Ryan. I had I had Ryan and Julio four. You had two guys ahead of those guys. I wouldn't honestly. I would. I mean, I love Matthew Stafford. I think he's really underrated. But uh, they're top. They're a top ten duo, but top five. No, that's that's. I like them there. I think they're going to really surprise people this year, especially Stafford and Galladay. I mean, they added a good, added good run game in Detroit, which I think they lost that last year. So I think having the run game will cause more one-on-one coverage on the outside with Galladay. And if Galladay is in one-on-one coverage, Galladay will burn it every time. His size, speed, leaping ability, outstanding. I just think, I think. A little bit too much is being jumped on with DK Metcalf. I think he's really good, but I don't think he's obviously Russell Wilson is here. He's at the top, one of the top in his position. Yes, I don't. I but, agree. DK Metcalf is not there yet, but I, I, Russell Wilson's ability to have success at the at the level he's had so far because, is incredible. You have to put him on this list. And I wouldn't I think even put DK's, Metcalf DK's wasn't on. even their best receiver last year. It was Tyler Lockett. So I don't like Lockett because Lockett gets hurt too much. That's the that's the only negative I have on Lockett. And DK was really ended up being his favorite wide receiver by the end of the year. He ended up being the number one by the end of the year, and I think there's big things. He was in the play in the playoffs, yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a very 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 hot take, uh, boiling take, as we would say in the boiled up yes. podcast. Um, okay, we're gonna move on. Uh, the, the la- one of the last things we're going to talk about here is who we think will be the most prepared NBA team if if the season comes back. Um, my pick for this is the Los Angeles Lakers. I think this is a huge boost for them Having uh, if the season comes back. First of all, there's a guy who they cut around the training deadline who, who could have probably come back for the playoffs, and his name is DeMarcus Cousins. He would have been back by now. They still have him training in their facility. They could easily bring him back for the last 15 games. Of the, well, well, we don't know. Let's just say hypothetically there's a couple regular season games to get some ramp up. But their issue with him was that if he was going to come back, it was going to be right in the playoffs. They didn't want to do that. That didn't work for the Warriors. 
But if he had had five, maybe 10 games in a whole month of, obviously they're going to have like three to four weeks of just kind of training and getting again with the team. If they add him back into that mix, he's their starting center. And he's an unbelievable center when he plays. He's always yes, hurt, but when he plays, he's really, really good. And I, I mean, him, I mean, right now their starting center is JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. Oh my God, DeMarcus Cousins in that lineup. That's, oh, that's going to be. Yes, DeMarcus Cousins from three years ago. The DeMarcus Cousin of last year and this year of what he will show, he is not that same player. He is a. He's still that, better not, than That's those not the right two. case. You should be making the case that LeBron has not had any load oh, management well, this year. And yeah. he should be – there should be no DeMarcus Cousins talk. That is terrible. DeMarcus I, Cousins is an average center at best nowadays. He is so think, washed up. The, the, I know, your take I, should be that LeBron James is getting time off now because he doesn't take time off during games or in the regular season. He just he plays every game he can. So this break is giving him time to rest up for the playoffs. That I would agree. With, I would agree with you, but and that was what I was thinking about talking about. But then I thought about it, and I was thinking about some of the comments that LeBron James has made. And LeBron James was saying a couple weeks ago that his body was confused, and his body doesn't know why he's not playing right now because he's always playing at this time. So think about going at his old age, playing at that level. That when they when the game was canceled, they were at the best that they've ever been. They had beaten the Bucks and the Clippers in back to back games. And his body was probably in, you know, very, his body's always in great shape, but his body was in the best basketball shape it was in at that point. He was taking over the MVP competition. But now all of a sudden his body's here. Now he has to get all the way back up to here in such a short amount of time. And I actually don't think that that really helps him a lot. I think that probably hurts him. What I probably, what probably would have been best for the Lakers if, if they had had the season, for him, for LeBron James at least, I think this helps them so much because I think they can get guys like Boogie back into that lineup. And that's a boost that they need to beat the Clippers, beat the Bucks. The team that they had was good enough, but if they had another one more piece, they didn't really do much of the trade deadline because they didn't trade Kuzma. You know, you bring. I I I know it's it's I know it's a little bit crazy, and a lot of people don't really think about it. But that guy had been training in the facility even to this day. He's been in that facility with the team, even though he's technically cut, which he really wasn't because he's still with the team, and they have all intentions of bringing him back. Him and AD are best friends, so. I think they bring a guy like him back if he's healthy, just like kind of like the KD situation, except the Nets aren't going to because they're not championship contending. But the Lakers would bring him back, throw him in that lineup, and I think that gives him a huge boost in the West. I think that would be the reason, if they win the championship, why they would win because of that that one piece that just kind of saves them. Um, yeah, DeMarcus not, Cousins is average at best now. And JaVale McGee, is, that's the upgrade there, would be minimal at best, if not worse, because he has no chemistry with any of the players on the team. Well, that, that's what I was saying. Think about it. If we get um, if we get the season back, we're going to have three or four weeks of training and then maybe a couple regular season tune-up games and then it'd be the playoffs. And I think that, that amount of time would have really helped them rather than just throwing them into the fire. Um, which is why they had to cut ties with him because they didn't want to do that to him. But, I mean, I think, obviously, I think if the Lakers can get a guy like him back and playing, I think that's a huge boost for them. I think it's a huge boost for them. And I think that's more important than getting LeBron some rest that he really didn't need because now, like I said, body here to here, way up here now in such a short amount of time to get ready for the playoffs, I don't think that's a good thing for his body at all. I think that's a little bit overrated as to how important that is for him. That's an interesting take, but he was definitely sore and tired at the getting to the point where they took their break. So I think the rest definitely benefited him. Now what you're saying is this long of a period without playing, you're right, it may mess with his body a little bit, but I think it would. it's better than the path he was on. I think the path he was on of not playing at all, like – constantly playing here 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 I think his body was definitely wearing down there so I think this break definitely helped LeBron more than it would hurt him now for my most prepared teams it's got to be the Philadelphia 76ers I mean so the Sixers obviously have been so disappointing this year I yeah mean, I agree it's been tough to East. watch yes exactly so this break here has given well to end the season there up until the break Joel was still dealing with some injuries Ben was obviously hurt Ben has 
Now, Ben we probably would have missed his the back whole injury. season. Yeah, they were ben, ben would have missed up until the playoffs. He probably would have missed a round or two as well. So the Sixers would have lost the first round easily if they didn't have Ben Simmons. So getting him back and healthy is huge. It's just a tremendous boost here. And you're giving Joel time to rest up his body. I mean, Joel Embiid, the past couple postseasons, he's just been constantly hurt, whether it's sick, yep. hurt. He's just not been 100%. And if he can use this yeah, time to get stronger, stay healthy, just not putting the wear and tear on his body, I mean, that that's just a huge advantage for them in the East. And, I mean, this is also a very – obviously, when you think about the Sixers, you think about injuries. But, like, another thing was – their overall coaching and performance, they weren't up to standard. And I think this break has no. given Brett Brown and Elton Brand, and it's given even the players time to go back and watch a lot of film and see what wasn't working. Because at times when you go back and watch things like that Sixers-Clippers game, the way they were setting screens between Ben and Joel, and it was obviously the one in Philadelphia, not the one in, in uh, Los Angeles yeah. that they lost but the one where Brandon and Joel played and they won, that game was just incredible. And if they can figure out what worked in games like that and put them into an offense, I think that gives them another, another advantage. Whereas they were struggling there, this gives them time to go back, review what was working, what wasn't working, and figure out what they can do to succeed here once play resumes. Um, I agree with you. And obviously we're both big Sixers fans, but um, mm-hmm. part of the reason I just, I lost a lot of faith in the Sixers was because I just don't believe that the team is being managed well enough to even with this full roster come back and really drastically improve um, by the end of this season. I, I'm not a big, I'm a hate out. I'm not a big Elton Brander fan at all. I, I think oh, he's he really, set this team up to fail. I think he set this team up to fail. And I mean, Brett Brown is not, I think Brett Brown is a very, he's a, he's a very solid coach. I just don't think, He's the coach. He may not be the right fit for this team. For Ben Simmons, especially because I mean, there's some coaches in the NBA who would be like Ben, like no, like this. You're learning this for this season, and really pushing. He's not really pushing Ben Simmons to really learn anything outside of his current game, which is coach the the one of the main things a coach needs to do with the star player. I will players. say Ben Simmons did improve his defense, though. His defense, his defense has is unbelievable. But, and his playmaking has gotten better. His finishing has gotten better. The only, the only thing that hasn't improved is his shooting. Yeah, and I, I, I like his free throw shooting. He's a better free throw shooter, but he needs to be able to – if teams are going to give you a wide-open three-pointer, you've got to be able to at least take the shot because then you at least keep the defense honest. He'll, his game is always going to be driving to the basket, just like LeBron James. LeBron James is not a stud shooter. He's only about 30-some percent career three-point shooter. But he shoots those shots just like Joel does because it keeps the defense all honest. And then the next time, you know, Ben Simmons makes a couple of those three-pointers, and he's very capable of hitting a three. He's, I just don't understand why he's done he's it before. It. We saw him in the preseason. But the problem is, you know, you keep the defense – well, the problem now is the problem the defense is not honest. They're just caving into the paint, and Ben Simmons is trying to make a move in the paint. And he's – it's just – three or four defenders collapsing on him because they know exactly what he's going to do. But if he starts pulling up that three and hits a couple, they're going to have to at least contend, put an arm out and he won't be able to just, you know, he, you know, he'll be able to get to the lane a lot easier that way. So I think, I think he needs a coach. I mean, obviously it's a big coaching change, but we need a coach in Philadelphia who's really going to press these players, especially Joel too, as long as with the diet, like, there'd be some coaches who would literally be like, no, like that, that's unacceptable. You know, that would never happen for some coaches, but it seems like all this stupid stuff, like remember in the playoff game last year in Brooklyn, Mike Scott and um, Amir Johnson are texting on the bench. It's like, where's the leadership here? Where's the, where's the rules? Where's the rules? Where's the like, you know, kind of like just where is our respect for the game and, it just kind of seems like Brett Brown is just not the leader for this team. I don't know if the players really respect him um, fully, to be honest. Um, I know Joel loves him. Maybe that's because he lets Joel kind of just run free and do what he wants. But I don't know. I just I think even with Simmons coming back, this team, because of Brand mainly, but also because of Brown, I don't think that that would have changed much for this season for us, sadly. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But just based on what I've seen, that's probably what, what would have happened. But Okay, so I got a couple of things to respond to that. You said how Le- 
how like Ben was driving in and there were like three or four guys on him and he couldn't do anything with it. I think the issue there was Elton Brand's fault. I think he didn't acquire, he didn't build this team to have shooters. I think Ben and Joel can exist together, but the other three guys out in the court need to be shooters and they're not. Yeah, they're not. So I think that's no. on Brand, not necessarily on Brett. But, and you also mentioned about how he's a lot like LeBron James, you'd mentioned there at one point. And LeBron James really wasn't a good shooter anyway. He wasn't a good shooter till later in his career there. So yeah. it's a lot like Ben. If Ben were to shoot now, he'd only be shooting like he made Ben Simmons made this quote. He said, I would rather what was it? I would rather shoot forty percent than shoot under thirty percent like some of these guys out there right now. I believe that yeah. it was it was along those lines. And while I agree to him to an extent, I would still like to see him shoot more just because all I don't really asking, care about the percentage. I don't care about yeah, the percentage. It just frees up the, the court. Ball. Yeah, it keeps the defense honest. But I think, which is one thing LeBron James did when he was entering the league, he didn't shoot well at all, but he no. still put up he the shots just because it kept the defense honest. And then it gave him more space to work with. And I think that's something Ben does need to do. I mean, this it was break a, gives them time to look at tape. Yeah. And I think looking at the tape, they'll be able to find what worked because they clearly had success against teams. I mean, Boston, they beat, what, three out of four times. They beat the Clippers. They beat the Lakers. They had tons of success at home. So if they can trans, yes. they can use this time to put what they did successful and keep that up and put it all together, I think they could be a dangerous team to make a run in the playoffs. Or they could be a first-round exit as well. There's definitely the potential for both. Yes, that's for sure. I agree with the shooting thing with we need shooters around this team. And I don't know how – I mean, I knew as soon as the offseason finished, I was like, where's the shooters? Josh Richardson's not a shooter, really. He's a defensive guard. Cork Miles is our best shooter, and he's, you know, an average three. He's a little bit of an above-average three-point shooter at best. Um, but, um, yeah, I agree with most of those points there. Um, the only thing that I think is kind of interesting is the fact that – and this goes back to my leadership comment with Brett Brown – Early in the season, we remember that quote from Brett Brown saying, we'd like Ben Simmons to shoot at least one or two, I forget the number, three-pointers per game. And it just it just didn't happen. You know, it just it hasn't happened. I mean, ben Simmons hit a couple threes early in the season. He hit a couple from the corner. He was like two for five, I think, in like the first ten games from three. And then that quote came out, and it seems like Ben Simmons has just forgotten. Mm-hmm. to shoot a three-pointer since then um and then he's kind of just saying this is not my game I mean it was we're not asking for it to be his game we're not asking for five to six three-pointers a game we're asking for maybe one or two you know just, and he's gonna he I mean if, he, if Ben Simmons wanted to he could get 12 to 15 open wide open threes a game he would but yeah he doesn't shoot them so um Yep, so that's pretty much everything that we're going to do with that. The very last thing that we're going to talk about here, and we'll talk about it a little bit briefly. um, Yesterday, we saw that the MLB was going to implement this possible DH this season for the shortened 80-game season that we're probably going to get in July. So my kind of take on that, I think that's going to be extremely helpful for a lot of these NL teams. I mean, I think the Phillies are a team that really will benefit from this just because they got some, they got a top prospect in there, Alex Ohm, who's now probably got the chance. We probably wouldn't have really have thought he would have really been called up too early this season, but now he has a chance to right away be called up and play. Um, it's going to change a lot of things in the NL. I mean, we see AL. We see a lot of the pitchers in the, go to the AL from the NL, and it's just a little bit tougher because you don't get that easy out in the first five to six innings. Now we're going to see games where there might be runners on second and third with two outs and the pitcher will have to bat in the second or third inning. You know, not they want to, oh, sorry, they won't have to hit anymore in the second or third inning, you know, and that's going to make it harder on these pitchers in the NL. Um, and also another thing that I think you can take away from this is the ability that pitchers are now going to possibly be able to go longer in games. I mean, AL pitchers have kind of, you know, AL pitchers have a huge advantage because they don't have to bat. So you're going into a position now where it might be the sixth or seventh inning, kind of vice versa to the second and third, where, you know, you'd have second and third on with an out or two outs or whatever, and the pitcher wouldn't have to bat. So you wouldn't have to take that pitcher out of the game. You know, we've seen a lot of times pitchers having really great games and 
sixth or seventh inning, it's just it's too close to the game. They need those runs more than they need they got to pitch the next inning. So that's definitely what I'm taking away from that. I think this is I think we need baseball back. Um, we need something, and I think that they're in the best out of any sport right now. They're in the best shape um, to get started. I mean, everything's been improved. They've already tested all the players. It seems like this is going to happen. So it's an exciting thing to look forward to. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I was taking from that. Uh, anything you took away from some of the recent news or anything from the DH um, impact? Yeah, I mean, I saw that DH was a possibility. It's not confirmed yet, but I do. I yeah. think it's likely. I mean, Makes it's more sense. so for a safety issue, like concern yeah, I mean, there, the because with pitchers don't have to bat, and they've taken all this time off that they're not used to. I agree that that's a good move. I think it's a smart move on their decision. I mean, I'm curious to see what pitchers like Madison Bumgarner, who yeah. like to hit, they could the still hit him hit. there at DH. So what would you do in that situation? I'm curious to see how something like that would end up playing out. I mean, but, I like it. It brings a new aspect to it. I'm curious if it will be they determine it just for this year or if they're going to implement it. I hope it's going in forward. Pre- in yeah, if you don't do that, I mean, who knows? They could do it for previous years, or they could, or they could say it's going to be something like, "Oh yeah, we'll test it out this year, and if it doesn't go well, we'll scratch it and something." But it's kind of like the pass interference call back in uh, the NFL. There we talked about earlier with the Saints when they caught that. It's kind of like the same thing. The pass interference call came for a year, and they voted yeah. on it, and they declined it, so now it's not continued. So I think we could see something like that with the DH, and if people don't like it, they could. They could, could scratch it. I right mean, it, it brings a new aspect to the NL because, like you said, pitchers can go longer. Pitchers don't have to – you don't have to pinch hit for pitchers. It's a whole, it brings a whole new aspect to the game. So it will be interesting to see. Like you said, I'm glad baseball looks like it's on its way to returning. I really yeah. miss it. It's an interesting game. And, you know, have you been watching any of the Korean League? I watched. I I'm not been staying up 3 a.m. to watch it, but I've seen a little bit of highlights of it, and it's definitely in, in different. Uh, it's definitely something different. It's a little interesting. Uh, pretty funny to watch. Uh, definitely worth a watch if you got some free time. Um, but yeah, Korean league is big right now. It's kind of it's kind of miss baseball. Yeah, it's fun Makes to watch, but then you're also day. like, damn, I wish we had you know our baseball. But, um, yeah, I agree with. I agree with what you said. I think this is going to be a great thing for the league. I think for all fans in the MLB, we always, like, we see a pitcher go up to bat. Like, just please just get out. Like, just swing, swing in a couple pitches and miss. I don't want to see you sprinting across the first base, you know, yeah, you and pulling a hamstring, you know. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. So That's the last thing you want. Well, that's the last thing we're going to talk about here on the Boiled Up Podcast with Jake and yep. Justin, the first episode. So, Hopefully, first episode in the books. Yeah, first episode is in the books. Uh, we'll definitely be working on a second one here. Um, we'll see. We'll put together what we're going to do. And, uh, well, hopefully listen to this podcast. Enjoy it. Hopefully come back from. Yep.